in a global industry where anything can happen, where mistakes can cost far more than dollars. One oil and gas sales expert, one HSE professional, and the greatest PPE provider on the planet must come together. Two men, one brand, one mission. Red Wings Oil and Gas HSE podcast with Mark LaCour and Patrick Pister starts now. Hey, it's Mark LaCour, and this show is for everybody who has an interest in HSE in the oil and gas industry. Brought to you by Red Wing, the leaders in PPE, ensuring your people go home safe every day. Joining me today is my dexterous co-host, Patrick Pister. Hey, well, Mark, how you doing? Doing awesome, Patrick. And we're sitting here in uh, beautiful San Antonio, Texas, at the uh, Society of Petroleum Engineers Annual Technical Conference and Expo. Annual Tech ATCE. ATCE. Yep. It's a mouthful. Even the acronym's a mouthful. <laughs> um, but this is a great show. You know, one thing I love about the show, this is on our must-attend list, is that if you want to come learn about real technologies and processes that are new, that are helping the oil and gas industry, this is the show that highlights all of that. It's not academia, right? It's stuff that really works. And it's really cool to see there's so much new tech, so much new process, so many new people coming in our industry. And this low crude price environment now is driving a lot of innovation and in, in adaptation of new technologies. And we're seeing it right here. Yeah, but the mood still, it's, it's good. It's not, not like it was last year or the year before. Everybody, yeah. Everybody's more positive about the market. Yeah, yeah. And it is, it is feel there's a bit of an upbeat in the, in the air here, which is, which is good. Although we haven't yet got to the network reception, which is a couple <laughs> hours away. Um, before we go any further, I want to take this chance to uh, a big shout out to Lama A. Turret from the United States, uh, HSNE Job Seeker. Gave us a great review on iTunes. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, learning new HSNE management skills from knowledgeable hosts and guests, the podcast provides a very informative and practical guideline that can apply into all of the industries. Always look forward for the next podcast. Love the ending motivational phrase, don't be afraid to give up the good and go for great. So big shout out. Thank you so much for leaving us a review. If you'd like to give a big shout out and our sincerest thanks, do us a favor. It takes 30 seconds. Go leave us a review on iTunes. We'd be super, super happy if you did. And Patrick, we have a guest today. We do. We've got Jason Pitcher from Safeco. Is that correct? That's correct. I say it right. Yeah. Safeco. Yeah. So Jason, before we get into what Safeco does, um, you've had quite a journey in this industry, haven't you? How'd you get started? Yes, it was a, it's been a quite an interesting road. Uh, I started in the North Sea as a mud logger back in the, oh dear, early 90s. I worked uh, out of Denmark for about four years and then switched to the Middle East working for Sperry Drilling Services as it was back then, Sperry Sun Drilling Services as it was back then. Yeah, you date yourself saying Sperry Sun. Mm, <laughs> yes. Yeah, but that, man, what a totally different environment. So doing mud logging in the North Sea versus doing it in the Middle East? Yes, I ended up in the Middle East doing uh, running survey systems, gyros, and uh, uh, measurement while drilling and logging while drilling systems. Man, back then MWD was totally different than it is now. I mean, it was... It was not so Not different. so much? We've actually come in full circle, in, uh, almost. And so in, in what way? It's funny because I was talking to a friend the other day and he was telling, we were comparing what we used to run in the North Sea back in the early 90s for directional assemblies. Right. And if you look at what we're running today in the Barkan or the Permian, it looks almost identical. Uh, I didn't even know that. So, because when that North Sea part of the world was developed, that was considered very high technology, very expensive recoverable resources so a lot of new stuff was invented in just for that north sea environment yes it was but mwd systems started out with basic directional only systems which is what we are still running today very very much the same system the north sea progressed and other markets progressed 
tremendously with logging while drilling systems. Um, so replacing wireline with uh, logging, while drill, logging while drilling sensors that allowed us to get more of insights into reservoirs. But now we've come full circle because now we're back to not running any logging while drilling systems in U.S. land conventional uh, unconventionals. So typically you see uh, directional and a gamma and that's it. Yeah, it's a, I talked to an old driller. For, I don't know how this guy was really old, but he was telling me how directional drilling isn't new. Now back in his day, they drilled, but the way they figured out where the pipe was, where the drill bit is, they'd pull it up and they would drop down like this plumb bob attachment that, that would poke a hole into a piece of paper, and then they would they had a timer, a mechanical timer like a clock, and they would drop that down, and they'd come back up and they could guesstimate where. It's like I, I can't even believe you could do that, but they were doing that back then to figure out where to guide that drill bit. Yeah, that's. Pre-horizontal drilling days, you yeah. can't do that with a horizontal well. But the uh, survey systems have developed tremendously over the years. But in the last probably 20 years, the advances in those systems have really slowed down. Yeah. So um, great that you have a, such a, a broad history and that you get to see so much of the world. That's actually really cool. Let's talk a little bit about what's going on now with Safeco. So Safeco is a manufacturer of actuators, and actu Safeco actuators appear on API 6.8 gate valves all over the world. Uh, we are a uh, OEM for those, and they're fitted on gate valves from almost every manufacturer. We've been doing that a very long time, since 1993, and the, uh, in recent years we're starting to expand our product offerings. Yeah, so if our audience doesn't know what an actuate, actuator is, what is that? So an actuator is a device you put on top of a valve to replace a handwheel. So instead of a guy swinging on a handwheel to open and close the valve, now uh, you're using a hydraulic or a pneumatic uh, system to be able to push it open or, or push it closed, if that's what you're trying to do. Yeah, and it's amazing because they're all over the place. And on something like, say, a subsea tree or something, it's all actuator. I mean, everything. And even the RV comes up and plugs in hydraulic lines to move stuff around. Yes, we don't actually do the subsea stuff. We are predominantly surface systems at the moment. That doesn't preclude us getting into that market uh, in that, the future. That deep water markets could be a long time before yep. it comes back. Yeah, we're not in any hurry to get into that <laughs> yeah, space. I, I wouldn't go there at all. In fact, I'd probably be looking more at um, some of the stuff going on in midstream pipelines or whatever because there's a lot of uh, new business models coming up there where they're blending in the pipe right now and, and delivered special mixes of different refiners. Anyway. Um, I've got a very passionate love-hate relationship with pneumatic actuators on our cement system. They would f be fine for short jobs, but if your if your cement job was going to last four to six hours, invariably they would fail. So part of our procedure was have a guy standing by with a wrench when the actuator stops working <laughs> to pop it off, and then by radio, hand open and close. It was it was a nightmare. <laughs> yeah, and the the particular issue there is making sure that you've got the right actuator for the right job um, in that situation. Why use a pneumatic? Why, why not use a hydraulic? And I know that you know often it's driven by what's the power source available, but you can always change power sources. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So Patrick, we want to get a little bit and talk about why this is uh, uh, on the HSE show, right? Because when you have somebody out there hand spinning a valve open and closed, you're now increasing the chance of somebody getting hurt, right? Whereas if you're able to do this remotely, you don't have that extra person in a potentially dangerous environment. Oh, Jason and I were going down all kinds of routes of, I mean, getting people's hands off it, plus the, uh, the, the, the downtime that you're avoiding doing it. Any which direction, Jason, you want to go as far as the safety of, of this technology, like I said, down at your booth, we covered just about everything that, that it does. So when, once you're able to actuate a valve, um, you bolt a controller onto it and a power source, and that allows you to open or close it on demand. Uh, at Safeco, we have a patented system for frac relief. Uh, 
Now, typically when you're uh, pumping a frack job, uh, you're pushing the uh, fluid into the ground at a very high pressure, typically 7, 8, 9, 10 plus thousand PSI. The wellheads are typically rated at 10 or 15,000 PSI, and you do not want to exceed the rated maximum allowable working pressure of the wellhead. So our systems are uh, uh, electronic sensing, and they are designed to relieve that pressure uh, just before you reach the threshold. And we relieve in 15 milliseconds. We do it really, really quickly and efficiently. Now, what this allows you to do is to make sure that you do not exceed the working pressure of not only the wellhead, but you're also protecting the pumps and the iron in between, where there's a lot of people involved, there's a lot of risk involved. So anything that can mitigate that risk, uh, whereas traditional systems tend to be very inaccurate and somewhat questionable in their ability to to, to work 100% of the time. We're focused on, on uh, safety systems that are fully reliable and fully functioning to make sure that we do not exceed those, uh, those ratings. And that allows the pumps to stay going for longer, and that's the critical piece. Yeah, you know, that's kind of actually really cool because if you know without a shadow of a doubt that, that you have that piece of equipment that will relieve that pressure at that critical, whatever that number is, um, it has to make operations so much easier, so much quicker. And then if, some, God forbid, somehow you do manage to get up to that much pressure, the system itself protects not just the people, but all your investment equipment as well. Yes. Absolutely, because the, one of the real, real challenges if your safety system on a frack relief system doesn't work and you overpressure the fluid ends on the pumps, that's going to cost the pumping company millions of dollars and the operator millions of dollars and a lot of downtime. So it's critical. It is a critical piece of safety equipment that, that it, we're seeing a, a lot more focus on now particularly in, um, under these current economic circumstances. We talked about it at your booth. So this is a relatively new technology. What was, what's the alternative and what are the, what are the flaws in those, those old systems, old style of pressure relief? So we published a paper back in, uh, oh, when was it, at OTC, um, uh, outlining the design uh, criteria that we used for developing the system. And some of the systems that we're replacing are things like burst disks, which are a very simple uh, metal plate that just pops, gets to a certain pressure. The problem is you don't know quite when it will, and it won't necessarily pop at the same pressure um, every time. So often you'll have a burst disk that's been um, pressured against three, four, five times. Well, what happens is that affects its pressure rating actually when it will uh, fail. Then you've got gas-based systems, uh, nitrogen-based systems, which will have risk in terms of the temperature variation, so whether you're in northern Canada or whether you're in Texas, dial vari- uh, temperature changes, which on a gas-based safety system is kind of risky right. um, because now you've, you've introduced uncertainty into that system. I want, I want our systems to relieve at the set pressure uh, within 2% or less, and none of the older systems can give you that kind of accuracy. This is really important when you're knocking on the door of 9,800 PSI on a 10,000 PSI wellhead. We are certain that our systems will not allow you to exceed 10,000 PSI, whereas those other systems, I can't go that high. Operate, not just not, not allow you to exceed, but allow you to get up a lot higher to you. Much closer to that threshold right. without exceeding it, and that's, that's the hard piece, and that's what uh, the older technologies will not allow you to do. Does that increase your ability to fracture the rock correctly? It must, right? So. Absolutely. It yeah. can reduce cost tremendously for operators. So instead of using a 15,000 PSI wellhead, they can use a 10,000 PSI wellhead because they know they're not going to exceed that pressure. And by being able to push it close to the limit but without increasing costs is very important in today's environment. But it also means that you can pump uh, uh, higher rates and higher pressures to effectively fracture the rock and get it away. Um, so it, it's definitely 
a important aspect of what uh, current operators are doing. And what what about the adoption? So they're used to this older style, the, the pressure release discs that, what are they, 15, uh, 10 to 15%, you know, plus yep. or minus, something like that, and you're able to come in. Do they still want you to have that safety factor, or are you able to prove that, you know, we can operate a lot closer? We've demonstrated repeatedly that we can operate a lot closer to that. Um, in fact, uh, ours is one of the very few systems that you could constantly uh, be able to pump on a closed wellhead. Closed wellhead is where you've actually got the valve shut and you start the pumps, Usually, it's an accident, um, <laughs> uh, and our system will will not allow you. Will still prevent the wellhead going over ten thousand psi. Uh, most of the other systems will not um, react fast enough to be able to stop that. And just from a risk level, that's a, that's a huge factor. It's yes, and when you get a valve failure on, say, you have a uh, a lower master or upper master uh, hydraulic valve that is accidentally closed. Not that that ever happens, of course. Absolutely um, not. <laughs> um, but if it does happen, and this has happened several times, uh, you slam that master valve shut, now you're pumping against a closed wellhead, and you've got 80 barrels a minute at 9,000 PSI, you're going to, without a system like ours in place, you're going to launch something. I like, I like um, how you stopped yourself. And <laughs> so it is really important to be able to have the confidence that the system is going to protect and we've been demonstrating that now for four years consistently with multiple examples of, of accidentally closed wellheads that have not breached the maximum allowable working pressure because of our systems. Yeah, so the thing I kind of want to come back to because it kind of blew by it, but it's the fact that it's totally automated, right? So it doesn't depend on operator paying attention to a dial. It doesn't depend on anything other than having the piece of equipment installed because the piece of equipment itself is watching the pressures. The piece of equipment itself is going to relieve that pressure at that point without any person involved. Yes, you can't um, do this kind of thing uh, with people involved. They're too slow. Your, uh, our system will start relieving in 50 milliseconds. The blink of an eye is 100 milliseconds. So in half the time that it takes you to blink your eye, our system is relieving pressure. That's how fast it operates. And you cannot do that um, manually. Yeah, it's, um, I wonder what it sounds like when it goes off, when you'll hit that threshold. <laughs> it's quite an interesting noise. depends on, on the rate that they're pumping at. But yeah, it can get quite loud. Yeah, I bet you startled some people before when those things were loose. But at the same time, the fact that you hear it go off means that it's doing its job. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, it's actually a really good indicator if it goes off. Now, often in the frack van, they can't hear that. So we have a, a really annoying loud klaxon that goes off as well to make sure that they're paying attention. Because if it goes off, they need to start slowing the pumps down and switch to um, a water blend. Because that is another thing that the system does is allows you to recognize when you are getting close to the limit with a screen out event, which is when they're pumping too much sand and they're overloading the system, so it's about to get all clogged up with sand. Um, if you can recognize the early signs of that, and this will help do that, then you can back off on the proper concentration that's going into the frack and potentially save a screen-out event, which can save a great deal of money in terms of um, doing a clean-out. Yeah, and the things that's different, it's funny, you talk about offshore and you talk about on land. The thing that's different from a business point of view is there are really two different financial models. Offshore it's all about hitting your project start dates, your deliverables, all that stuff, and, and you're going to be okay. On land, it's like, can you drill wells like Total Builds Camrys? Can you factorize that? Can you do one over and over and over again to be good at it? But bringing your system in, you're allowing the operators to take that critical piece out and know that it's the same time every way for every well that they drill. We are contributing very much towards that factory model using a system like this, giving them consistency in what they're able to do. 
what you have to remember in, uh, in certainly in the U.S. unconventional business is that a very large amount of the of the cost of these wells is in the pressure pumping, and anything that you can do that keeps the pre- keeps those pumps running goes straight to the bottom line on both for the operator and for the pu- and for the pressure pumpers, because pressure pumpers get paid when they're pumping. If they're down because of uh, uh, failed um, safety systems, then they're not making any money. So it is critical on both sides of the equation to keep those pumps running. And that's uh, that's something that has driven our business very successfully in the last couple of years. Yeah, you taught me something. I didn't realize that was one of the biggest costs of uh, unconventional wells, actually, the pressurization. Wow. That frack spread is not cheap. And does that change depending on the geographic location, like Permian versus... You know, or, or is that always the biggest cost of, a, of an unconventional well in the U.S.? It's pretty much was the biggest cost. Now, the amount it costs varies from region to region because it really depends upon the uh, total vertical depth and the length of the horizontal well and the style of the completion and what they're actually pumping in the ground. But uh, generally speaking, um, it's pretty safe to say that the uh, these days it's on the completion side is where all the money is spent rather than on the drilling side. Yeah, it's um, yeah, I've been around since 1993. Um, it must feel good as a company, as, as a person in the company, to know that you're helping keeping people safe out, out in the frack fields. It absolutely does. Um, being able to stand by our reputation, um, which is which is absolutely key, in helping our um, our, part, uh, our operating partners uh, achieve um, zero impact in terms of HSE uh, is really important. And we strive to do whatever we can to help maintain that gold. Yeah, it's one of the things that, I have found surprising doing this show is that we've talked to a lot of companies, some really big companies. We've talked to a lot of well-known HSE leaders, and no matter what the size of the company, and no matter if there's metrics involved or KPIs, or whatever, it's in people's hearts, right? They want to do good for their fellow oil and gas workers, and it's I can see it coming across right now. You're in the same boat, right? This is something that you believe in wholeheartedly. Yes, um, being able to protect both the systems and the workers, but most importantly, make sure everybody gets home safe is really, really key to uh, what a company like Safeco does and how we operate. It's nice to see that passion in something that I wouldn't consider as the most sexy part of the oil and gas industry. We're talking about valves and actuators here. It's not, you know, uh, the BOP or the the heavy the equipment. drill rig. Or, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, but it's a, you know, a vital thing. Like you talked about that if it's not done right and you have an accident or have something, you know, something over pressure, you, it's, it's a lot of money you're dealing with for such a small component of the actual drilling. Well, not only that, what you're also doing is you're placing a lot of risk on the well for later. So if, you, if you've overpressured a wellhead, that probably means you've over, uh, overpressured the casing and you, you've compromised the integrity of the well. That can have massive impacts uh, downstream. So in five years' time, in six years' time, in ten years' time, that's the state of that well may be in a very poor shape because of what you did today while you were, um, while you were pumping on it. If you've, um, if you've damaged it, then that's when you're going to start to see serious environmental issues that can impact, uh, and impact us all down the road. So, yeah, it is really important to get it right. Right. We've done. We spent a lot of money engineering these wells, making sure the engineering design is right. Well, we need to honour that, and that, and to do that, we need um, competent safety systems that maintain the integrity of those of those uh, of those wells. Yeah, a DWAP is one thing. You're drilling a well on paper and having everything planned out, but then yeah, you're right, absolutely right. The execution is yeah. something completely different. Yeah, and also DWAP ends when the rig leaves, um, and the frack job ends when the frack spread leaves. Well, in ten years' time, 
decisions that were made during the drilling process, decisions that were, decisions that were made during the completions process, will have an impact on the integrity of that well. Now, whether it's uh, a leaky casing design or a collapse, uh, collapse casing because the uh, uh, metallurgy has been overstressed, all of it is going to impact um, uh, further down the road, uh, and it can impact the profitability of the of the operator. But more importantly, the last thing I want to do is start producing up the backside of a casing because it was overpressured and leaking, um, which is going to have a, a serious environmental con- um, issues. Yeah, it's um, th- yeah. Those modern casings are great when they stay within engineering standards, but it's when, like you said, when out in the field, when it's not on paper anymore, and people are actually doing stuff, and if they don't do it right, it shows up later. Yes. Every, every time. So it's um it's been really great to have you here on the show. It's um we're gonna start getting close to starting winding this down. We're at the point now in the show where we do our Red Wing safety tip of the week. Do you have a safety tip of the week for us? I absolutely do, and it's funny because it was related to something you mentioned earlier about hard hats and uh, safety um, safety chin straps. But in this case, do you know that there is a date stamp on your hard hat? No, I didn't. And know when's that. the last time you checked? Because <laughs> they expire. So if you look inside your hard hat, you should see a, uh, a stamped uh, wheel that actually has the looks year. Like a little, little clock on it. Yeah. It looks like a little clock, and it's actually the date, and it's an expiration date for your hard hat. If your hard hat has expired, time to go get a new one. Did you know that, Patrick? I knew that it was there, but I can't, I can't honestly say when I've had a hard hat when I ever checked it and, and swapped them out. I mean, this is a great tip. I mean, something so um, simple that I didn't know. Uh, yeah, and it's something I knew, but I don't really think about it. It's actually a great tip. Yeah, so audience, everybody, right now, all together, go get your hard hat. It should be right under the brim, somewhere in the back of the hard hat. and Turn it over and check to make <laughs> sure if it's expired. I mean, man, it really, uh, Jason, that was an awesome tip. That's a really good one. Yeah. All right, so if you listen to the show this long, uh, we appreciate we appreciate all of our new listeners. We've actually gotten some new listeners, um, Patrick, which is cool. We have uh, we have a big appreciation for new listeners, existing. reviews. It's, yeah, yeah, existing. Uh, Jason, if people want to find out more about Safeco, where where should they go? Just go to www.safeco.com. And if people wanted to learn more about you, uh, LinkedIn, I'm guessing. LinkedIn's a great place to find me. Yeah. So uh, Patrick, we'll put a link in the show notes for both those. Jason, man, this has been really great. You have so much knowledge around this, and he actually taught me and Patrick both something. You actually taught yeah. me a couple of things. <laughs> I know you're busy here at the booth. We appreciate you taking your time. Um, we hope the show's good for y'all. You can hit the network reception tonight? Absolutely. Yeah, we'll, we'll definitely see you at the network <laughs> reception. Audience, if you like the show, can you do me a favor? We talked about LinkedIn. Can you join the uh, LinkedIn group? It's OGGN. It's uh, the companion to this show, to all of our other shows. And if you're not listening to... Paige Wilson on oil and gas industry leaders or me and Jake on oil and gas this week. Go do it. We have some more shows and work coming out this year, hopefully knock on wood. And then a big shout out to our travel sponsors, Total Land, the world's most field advanced land management system. If you're a land man, go check them out. They make your world work so much easier. And then Lee Heck Harrison currently working over three quarters of all the fortune 500 oil and gas companies globally on the complexity of leadership and workforce transformation. Great company out there. If you need some help with some of that stuff, reach out to them. If you'd like Patrick and I to come talk to your HSE meeting, your trade association, your company event, conference schools, whatever, even your gun club. We're talking guns today. <laughs> uh, reach out, Patrick, and I'll be happy to share the details. Ah, that's a lot, Patrick. Do we do everything we need to do? Uh, just the, the next conference going to be at is the IDC Human Factors Conference and Exhibition in Galveston, October 17th to the 18th, and uh, I think that's it. I think. Yeah, and if you'd like to know about all these events, we have a newsletter we put out once a month, actually Modal Point, my c- company. Patrick put a link. Go sign up for it. We take all the oil and gas events, put them in one place, and stick them in your inbox once a month. Plus, we give you insider stuff that nobody gets. So free passes to conferences, uh, invitations to stuff. Mark gives out free passes to OTC, so <laughs> sign up. Yeah. 
All right, now we're ready to get out of here? Yeah, let's do it. All right, folks, don't be afraid to go, give up the good to go for the great. Y'all be safe out there. Tune in next week for another exciting episode of Red Wings Oil and Gas HSC Podcast, a production of the Global Oil and Gas Network. Learn more from Mark LaCour at modalpoint.com. Connect with Patrick Pister at leanoilfield.com. From Houston to London to Dubai and beyond. Back in 98, I was driving back to a rig because uh, I was Parker 245, because somebody said there were some bears in the area. And uh, I said, well, where are they? Well, they're <laughs> over by the dumpster. Well, I didn't know where the dumpster was. It was my, my first time on that rig. And I, I parked and I got out of my truck. And there's two bears just staring at me. <laughs> Crazy. And the guy's hanging out of the windows of the accommodation going, <laughs> you better move and move fast. That was the fastest I've ever moved in the oil patch. That's, 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 that's an HSE thing you don't consider. I've it, never it, heard the, that one before. Yeah. Wildlife's one thing. Bears are totally different. Yeah. <laughs> Good job.